work to do today. Alright, I'm going to challenge us to dive into the Word with all seriousness. My grandfather, years ago, when I used to spend some summers with him, uh, it was about haying time, and we had to get up early in the morning because it got, it, it, it got rather warm in the afternoon, and so he would wake me up, and he'd say something along the line, or, get up, Craig, uh, daylight's burning, we've got to move forward, and we've got to get out the door. So today I want to encourage us to roll up our sleeves a little bit. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper and what does that mean for us as Christians and how Jesus directed us to celebrate that. So when I say it's worth is because when we learn God's Word and we apply it to our lives, it's a genuine effort on our part to understand and implement these truths. So the whole point of today is the Lord's Supper. Oftentimes, oh by the way, the last time we celebrated the Lord's Supper was a Sunday prior to New Year's last year. So it has been a long, long, long time. I think we're due, amen? Amen. So with a smile on my face, which you can see, and a smile on yours, that I, by faith you're doing that, I don't know, that we can go into this time of the Lord's Supper celebrating. So let me give you a definition of the Lord's Supper this morning. Is this. The Lord's Supper is a commemorative celebration using bread and the fruit of the vine to memorialize the ministry, death, resurrection, our redemption, and the second coming of Christ. So in a nutshell, that's what we are doing with the Lord's Supper today. That's what it all means. And Jesus said to do this in remembrance of Him. Now, the first point this morning is, is that Jesus knew he wanted to let them know, the disciples know, in regard to the future. He knew his day was coming. He knew the time in which his ministry was going to come to an end. He mentioned to them at least three times in recorded in the book of Mark. He told them that he, he told them that he was going to Jerusalem. He was going to be delivered to the high priests and the scribes. He would be condemned to death and handed over to the Gentiles. He would be mocked. Abused, He would be crucified, and after three days he would rise again. So he made it very, very clear to them what was going to happen to him. But there was tension in the air. Tension in the air at the close of his ministry. Let me give you, you know, I'm kind of into words. So I'm going to give you a definition of tension, okay? It says this. It's unrest. It's the undersurface imbalance of emotion and stress. It's tension in the heart of Jesus Christ and his disciples. Now, Jesus knew his time was close. And I want to talk to you about his kenosis. This is a theological word that talks about Jesus being all man and all God. He was never not God and he was never not man. In fact, he was total man and total God. So he experienced everything that was to be a human to the fullest. He knew that his time was short as he entered into the Passion Week as preparing to talk about the narrative of the Lord's Supper. He knew that when he rode into a Jerusalem on the back of the donkey's colt, what was waiting for him? He would be chided. He would be ridiculed. He would be challenged. He would teach about who he is. He would talk about the end times. He would share with the disciples the challenges and the struggles that he would face. Jesus knew of his pending ed, uh, execution. 
He knew where he was going. We can only imagine the anguish that he experienced. The public, the knowledge of the public humiliation and the uh, and the abuse that he would be affronted with. He knew of the weight of the universal sin of humanity from day one to the last breath that humanity would take. He knew that the wrath of God was poised. He knew that God hated sin and all that sin of the world would be laid upon Jesus Christ. He knew that there would be a time in which the Father would have to abandon Him because the Father would not and cannot look upon sin. And then, of course, there was His death. Something that we have not yet experienced. We can only imagine the anguish that Jesus Christ was facing. We can only imagine the tension that was in His heart, in His mind, and how He responded to those around Him. But then we think about the disciples for just a moment. The disciples had to see what was going on with Christ. They spent three, three and a half years with Him, and they had to understand there's something going on. There's something in the air. There's something different about Him. But they were always trying to deal with the tension, to try to conceive the meaning and the meanings of the last three years. The healings, the preachings, the miracles, the things that took place. There was always that tension that was in their lives, a sense of unrest. The sense that they had to have an answer, but many times it, it was not within reach. Tension. In fact, it's very interesting is that the last part of Jesus' ministry we find in John chapter three, verse, or chapter thirteen, verses three through five. The Bible says this: Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand, and that He come forth from the Father and was going back to Him. Listen. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured a basin of water, or poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Now this was really strange. Because as you know, you're Bible scholars. I've talked to you about a lot of different things theologically. We have learned that to wash someone's feet at this particular time was the utmost act of servanthood that anybody could ever experience. The master would never wash the feet of his servants. In fact, the, the responsibility of washing the feet of someone was given to the lowliest of servants, the lowliest of slaves, the least person that we ever consider the thoughts and the feelings of. And yet Jesus did this. It must have been like, what was this all about? And then Jesus, and of course Peter, we understand, he confronted with Jesus, and Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. In verses 13 and 14, he said to the disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord, and the teacher wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. What is going on here? Jesus was always teaching. God is always at work. Keep this in mind. As our lives go forward, God is always at work. What was he teaching? Humility. The abandoning of self. The serving of others. Kindness. And devotion and loving commitment. That's what he was teaching. 
Now let's go to the scripture that Charlotte read with us this morning. It is found in Luke, if you would, chapter 21, verses 14 through 20. We're not going to take the time to read it because I know you are faithful in listening as Charlotte read to us what the scripture had to say about the last meal. Meals are important in this culture as meals are important for us. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time in which we share trusted words. It's a time in which we reflect upon memories of experiences past. It's a time that we make plans. It's a time that we make agreements. It's a time to demonstrate hope and fear. Meals. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus took bread. Bread was an everyday commodity. There was nothing special about this bread that they were experiencing together. It was a symbol. He blessed it. He took it. He raised it above the table. And he blessed it. He thanked God. He brought distinction and importance to this. Now think about this for a moment. He thanked God for the bread. This was an act of worship. Now I said this before. And it's worth saying again. That when we give thanks at a meal, at a table, it's an act of worship. Do you know that? Do you know how blessed we are what God has given to us? Do you ever look at the table? <laughs> now, Kim and I were talking last night. We were having our dinner together. <laughs> and we looked at what was there. Kim had made broccoli salad. We had a couple of little pieces of beef. We had, what else did we have? Oh, green beans. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. Pretty simple. Because I'm a simple guy. Anyway. Amen. So Kim and I look, and here's the broccoli salad. It has broccoli, it has peanuts, it has a little bit of bacon in it, it has mayonnaise. And then it had the beef, a little piece of steak that we had to put in the pressure cooker so we could chew it. <laughs> <laughs> and let me remind you, that's why God gave us ketchup, amen? Amen. And then we looked at the green beans, the little green dudes at camp. Think about this for a minute. How many lives are represented on that table? How many ingredients come together so my wife and I can share 20 minutes with a meal together? Sometimes we need to reflect about the, the sumptuousness of what we experience and that we just take for granted. Look what all came together. I don't know where those beans came from. I don't know where that can came from. I don't know where that beef came from. I didn't know what field it ate grass out of. The broccoli and the bacon, somewhere there was a pig that gave his life so we could have broccoli salad. <laughs> do you see? Do you see all how this comes together, especially in our culture? Look how wealthy we are when most people in most nations would be doing well to have one item on a menu. And yet, Jesus said, Thank you, Father, for the bread. So we're blessed. So when we give thanks, it's an act of worship. Oh, let's go back. Okay, so this bread. What does all this mean? Now, Jesus makes this huge jump in bringing to us the reality, the meaning of the scripture found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Verses 5 through 7. He says this. Therefore, when he comes into the world, the he is Christ. Sacrifice and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will. 
So, back in John 6.35, Jesus, of course, broke the bread. He took notice. And in John 6.35, he brings some conclusion about what all that means. So as we look together at the scripture, again, John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He brings application. He is the only one who can nourish our souls. There's exclusivity of who Jesus Christ is. And there's a need in all of our heart to find redemption. And he said that he is the only bread of life. Manna was the only consistent spiritual supernatural food provided that God gave to his people in the desert. But I want to remind you the spiritual food is Jesus Christ who nourishes our souls and leads us into eternity. And so when we move to the cup, Jesus said this cup is a symbol of covenant. So we have to ask a question. Remember, we're all into words. We talked about tension. So we have to ask ourselves, what does this word covenant mean? It means a contract, an agreement, a promise to be fulfilled. It's kind of like, I will do this, and you will do that. And then we make an agreement. That's a covenant. Okay? But we see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, about the importance of a covenant and the seriousness of it. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, And according to law, one may also say that all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So Jesus said this cup is a symbol of his blood, of covenant. I will do this, you will do that. And in fact, we have to ask a question. What does Jesus offer us at this table? He says this, I will save you, I will forgive you, I will build a life in you, I will give you eternity, I will give you me, I will give you my word, and I will promise, and I will always love you. So this is what Jesus brings to the table in a covenant, a promise. So what do we bring? What do we bring to the table? We believe. We learn. We trust. And we surrender. That's what this bread and this cup is all about. Are we working this morning? Are we working? Are we thinking? It's so important for us to do this. This was a holy moment in the life of Christ with the disciples. And I want to remind you this morning, as we have this time of the Lord's Supper, this is a holy time. This is a time that we take seriously what we have committed. This is a participating time. Oh, guess what? We come to the table. We come to the Lord's table. Guess who's there? Him. Amen. He's here. Let's go on. Oh, remember the tension? Remember the tension that we know and understand and believe that Jesus was facing in his life? This unmeasurable amount of pressure that he was facing. Then we think about the tension that was in the, uh, the lives of the disciples who came to a head at the point where they were looking at him washing their feet and the tension of trying to understand this bread and this cup. But something really strange happens here. Back in Luke, 
we find out in Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. What? Jesus told them what was going to happen to him. They experienced the Lord's Supper. They experienced washing feet. And now they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. This isn't the first time. This has happened three times prior to this. Jesus is with the disciples. They're following along with him according to the Gospel of Mark. And they were discussing among themselves who's going to be greater. And Jesus chastised them. Then there was another time that they were arguing with each other. And Jesus once again brought them to the surface and said, there's something bigger going on here than you. And then uniquely enough, James and John, their mother, the wife of Zebedee, brought James and John to Jesus. And she said, see my boys? Would you make it so that they will sit at your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom when it's fulfilled? Your mama is going to bring you to me to make this request? What are these guys thinking? What a sense of competition, of pride. They're asking, who's better? Who's better? But then Jesus doesn't even engage in this. Now, we don't have the time this morning. But in John chapter 14, verse, uh, chapter 14 through chapter 17, we find a profound portion of Scripture. Remember they're arguing, and Jesus is looking at them and He's saying, listen to me now. I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. I'm preparing a place for you. The Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus is going to leave peace. And He says, I am... You are to abide in me. I'm going to come back to you. You shall see me again, is what he said. The world's not going to understand what's going on, and you'll be rejected. And then he prays this prayer. This impassioned prayer for his disciples and us. Well, Luke chapter 22, verse 54, we discover that Jesus was to be arrested. And having, been, and having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. What tension was here? What tension took place? The disciples had run away. Jesus was condemned. He would be crucified. He would be buried. And in three days, he would rise again. But in the meantime, the disciples ran. Do you remember the story? They hid themselves for three days. Well, let's talk about tension for a moment. That anxiety that we discussed earlier in our time together, it's the undersurface imbalance of emotion and stress. There they are. The disciples' tension. The confusion, the fear, the ignorance, the anxiety... The inexperience, everything has come to a surface. You can only imagine them sitting in that room, the 12 of them, 11 of them. And every time they hear footsteps, they would wonder, are they coming to get them? 
What did this mean about what Jesus said coming back after the third day? What does this mean? I have a question. Did they eat during these three days? Did they drink? Did they take a moment to remember what Jesus said to them when He broke the bread and He gave them the cup? Could they remember? Jesus told them some interesting things in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Did they remember? This word tribulation is just not religious persecution. This word tribulation is the detrimental challenges to the Christian life. The challenges of our existence. You're going to have trouble, he said. You're going to have trouble in this world. But he said, I've overcome the world. Did they remember? He told them that he would be back to see them. Told them three times. Our day is a day of tension. The uncertainty. We're going to hear from our governor in about 50 minutes or so. There's going to be a newscast about what's going to happen next and how that's going to affect us. This last seven, eight months has been a challenge for all of us. And does God have something to say about all this? Do you remember what I said earlier? That God is always at work? He's always at work. He's not sleeping. He is not defeated. So in our time, our day of uncertainty, we ask the question, what are the far-reaching effects in our lives in regard to all of this? How have our relationships changed? How has our temperament changed about impatience and anger? What do we do with the masks and the distancing and the inconvenience and the depression and the isolation and forgiveness? The violence, the confusion, the anxiety, the scars that are produced in our lives. But what has been put upon us and what we have done to others. So what are we supposed to do? We're to remember. 1 Corinthians 1124b Jesus said this is my body for you do this in memory of me the next verse he says this cup is a new covenant in my blood as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me Jesus said in 1633 of John you will have tribulation in this world but take courage I will overcome the world so I came across this phenomenal song. Psalm 36, 5 through 6. David writes, This is an overwhelmingly beautiful song that we need to hear the message today about the immenseness and the glory of God. David goes to the wall in terms of explaining the extreme significance of God when he says this. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. 
Thy faithfulness reaches to the skies. Thy righteousness is like the mountains of God. The judgments are like the great deep. He's saying this. There's no one like you. There's no, there's nothing that's missing. There's nothing that is lacking in these character statements of who you are. And then he says this, and it's a profound word for us today. Oh Lord. By the way, Lord, that's Yahweh. That's the most holy name that can be referred to of God. Oh Yahweh, you preserve man and beast. David knows it. We do too. So as we enter this time of communion, it's just not some religious practice that we do. When we experience the Lord's Supper, it's nothing that we do necessarily in sentiment. But it's a time of reinforcement, a time of encouragement. It's a time to remember who Jesus is, what He said, what He said He will do, and how we relate to Him. Remember Him. We're going to pray. And then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So as I pray, I'm going to make these short statements. Okay, I want to lead us all in prayer. I'm going to make a statement. Okay, And then I want you in that moment in which I stop talking. Yes, I will in a minute. When I stop talking, just repeat in your heart what, you, what I just said. You'll get it. You'll get it. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And let's humbly pull before God. Jesus, you are the Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, I confess to you our sin, my sin. Many times I fail and I fall. Many times I am angry. Many times I doubt. Many times I embrace habits that don't please you. So help me, Lord. Today I remember you. How you moved in my life. How you changed my soul. How you brought me into a relationship with you that will go on forever. We worship you. We thank you. We love you. And may this time be a joy unto you as it is a joy and a pleasure us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for praying.